Psalm 23. I just want to take my time and walk through these things this morning. Thank God for Stacy Hickman and all of her leadership team that, that pulled off this event. Amen. Also, we're getting ready for a grand Christmas spectacular, we're calling it. It's going to be more music-driven this year, but there's a kids' choir going to be practicing here in about 30 minutes, so that's going to be exciting. Amen? The power of a seed. Let's look at Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still, uh, beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I'm going to stop right there because I want to focus on the first verse. And really, this is David, who was a shepherd, uh, talking about the Lord in terms of how he learned about the Lord in his daily lot in life. You know, we see God in what we do for a living. We see God and how we, we see him in the everyday, don't we? We should be seeing him in the everyday. And he says this, and it's an amazing statement. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Come on, say it with me. Even point. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We could say it this way, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That term want in the original language means diminish, to lack, to be void of anything. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not diminish, I shall always increase. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, I shall always have a supply. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be void of anything, but he's going to supply everything I need. If you look in Scripture, that's a basic principle. And I want to talk about it today, the basic principle of God being our source. If we talk about the power of a seed, I'm going to get to all that, but we must begin with this first theological truth, and that is God is our source. Say it with me. God is my source. America has a money problem. A few years ago, PBS ran a special called Affluenza, and in it they addressed the modern plague of materialism, and they gave a few statistics. The average American shops six hours. Now, this was before COVID, so some of these may have changed, but the average American shops six hours a week while only spending 40 minutes with their children playing a week. By the age 20, we've seen one million commercials. More Americans recently declared bankruptcy than graduated from college. In 90% of divorce cases, arguments about money play a significant or prominent role. And the conclusion is, money doesn't necessarily make us happy. Here are some words of some of the world's wealthiest men. John Jacob Astor said, I am the most miserable man on earth. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. 
and then Henry Ford. He said, I was happier doing a mechanic's job. Ecclesiastes echoes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There is another serious problem I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour. And everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take riches with us. The old-time preachers in the mountains used to say, we've never seen a U-Haul in a funeral procession. Money isn't evil, however. Money is simply a tool. So over the next three weeks, I want to present this whole subject, maybe in a way you've never heard it. And maybe you're saying, oh no, here we go again. The church is going to talk about money because they want my money. But I hope, you don't, I hope you've been here long enough that you realize the way we roll. And that's not the way we roll. 15% of everything Jesus taught about related to money or possessions. In fact... Jesus actually taught on this subject more than all of his teaching on heaven and hell combined. And why is that? Because there's a fundamental connection between how we handle possessions and how we handle our spiritual life. There is a connection. And so I wanted to begin with the most faith-filled thing I could tell you, and that is God is your source. God is your source. He is your shepherd, therefore you shall not want. That's the promise. Notice these verses of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom all things are, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things are, and through whom we live. One God, who is the creator of all, and all of Our lives are in Him. The Amplified reads it this way. He is the source of all things. Psalm 121.2 My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 24.1 The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people, belong to Him. Haggai 2.8 The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Deuteronomy 8.18, which I'm going to get into in a minute. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So the first realization we must come to is that God is our source. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a couple preliminary thoughts before we get into what that means to us. First of all, there's a difference between a source and an instrument. There's a difference between a source and an instrument, as there's a difference between a tree and its fruit. 
or as, a, as there is a difference between soil and the plants that grow from the soil. What, what am I saying? Sometimes we look at the instrument and think that's the source of everything, and if it's not working, then that's the problem. But the problem goes deeper. It goes to the root of things. So I gardened for a few years over in Camden. And I found out that I can grow weeds like nobody else. I'm telling you. But when I began gardening, uh, I talked to some people who had gardened throughout their lives. And they gave me some good advice. And that is, one man even came up to me and he said, You can't just go out there and plant. You have to do something to the soil. I thought, really? Why can't I just plant? There's grass growing out there. But the man was right that the soil has to be right. And if the soil's right, then you're going to have a good start. Amen? Now, granted, sun and water and all that stuff's right, too, and keeping bugs off and keeping grass out. That, that, you have to do that, too. But you must start with the source. And the source of all the minerals and the life that's going to come into that plant is in the soil. Come on, how many gardeners in, in here this morning can say amen to that? So if you tend properly to the soil, you've got a good chance of growing a great garden. I look at that as our spiritual life as well. God is our source. He's the soil. And we are planted in good soil. Now we got to tend to our spiritual life, but we've been given the best connectivity possible. We're connected to the source of all life. There's another preliminary issue, and that is between ownership and stewardship. Sometimes we act like we own everything, when really the Bible tells us God owns everything. We are stewards of His goods. And if we look at life that way, I think that's the biblical perspective, that we, are, we have been given everything we have, and we're to steward it well as He would have us, and to know that when the day ends, it all belongs to Him anyhow. Amen? As one man wrote a book years ago about money and possessions, and the title of the book I loved, and it's called, It All Goes Back in the Box. How many of y'all grew up playing Monopoly? Y'all too sanctified to play Monopoly. How many of y'all played something that involved paper money, right? Well, when the game was over, after all the shouting and crying and winter emerged, we just raked all that money up and threw it back in the box and put it back on the shelf. It's the kind of way life is. God gives us our resources. We're to be good managers of those resources. But when we preach your funeral, it all goes back in the box. Amen? Your works have gone before you, and you'll stand before God for your works. Hallelujah. So God is the owner. We are stewards. Listen, Exodus 19.5, Now therefore, if you will indeed heed, obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine. God is telling Israel, you do what I say and you're going to be blessed because everything belongs to me. Psalm 50 verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine and a cattle on a thousand hills is mine. 
Leviticus 25, and this is the principle behind the, the Sabbath year, the Levitical year of Jubilee. And if a man purchases a house from the Levites, then the house that was sold in the city of his possession shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are the possessions among the children of Israel. I, this is just a piece of what the year of Jubilee was, and that was in ancient Israel, every 50th year, all debts were forgiven. If someone had lost their home, it was returned back to them. Why? Because it showed God is really the owner of everything. And all that men acquired is, is great, great, but when that 50th year came, you released everybody from their debts. Showing that God really is in control. Come on, say it with me. God is my source. Say it with me. God is my source. I want you to say this, and, and, and uh, don't say it if you don't mean it, all right? My employer is not my source. God is. Come on. Wall Street is not my source. My God is. My bank is not my source. My God is. Can somebody shout amen? Come on, that should be freeing to some of you guys. So if God is your source, then I have three things to tell you. Worry is not your part. If God is really your source, then worry is not your part. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, not for your body, as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not m worth much more than they? And who of you, being worried, can add, or by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you so worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry about them saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can you shout amen to those golden words? That's the Sermon on the Mount, folks. Some of the greatest words that's ever been spoken right there. Don't worry. And of course, the prohibition to worry is predicated on Jesus' disciples making good life choices before that. If you notice the verses before that, He tells you how to live. And I think He comes to kind of a conclusion. If you live according to His precepts and His teaching, then you don't need to worry. And the overall principle is don't worry because God takes care of everything. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry. God is the source of everything. And if you really believe that, then we should live really a worry-free life. 
The great Methodist missionary, E. Stanley Jones, wrote these words. He said, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land, faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are, these are not my native air, but in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. A John Hopkins University doctor said, We do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers. But it's a fact. But I, who am simple of mind, think I know. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain cell and soul, for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. So to live by worry is to live against reality. Can somebody shout amen? I was looking at a Christian uh, work on Christian counseling and psychology, and they gave four ways to stop worrying, and I thought I would share it with you this morning. Number one, surrender your worries to God. Maybe make one page of things that you think I have under control and God has blessed me to manage, and I got another page of stuff that's just out of control. Write down all the out of control stuff and lay it before the Lord and say, now, Lord, I give you these. And lay your worries before the Lord. Number two, live in the present. Practice mindfulness, which is simply appreciating everything with your five senses in a slow, intentional way. Sometimes just sit down and breathe in the moment. Oh, man. Just breathe in the moment. Yesterday I had a very difficult day, but I was able to show up and see little Lucas, my grandson, turn one. And even though I was struggling through some stuff in the day, I, I, I showed up and I saw him into this little cake that he just, <clears throat> and had all over him. And I thought, I'm going to breathe this in right now because this ain't coming back. Come on, somebody, just breathe it in because it ain't coming back. Breathe in those good moments and let worry put that away. Because I thought about my own life. How much have I have I I've been running after things just because of concern and worry and, and a pressure that's on me and not taking a step back and breathing it in and in, and letting my five senses take hold of this moment. Amen? Can somebody shout hallelujah? Of course, the third way is to meditate on His Word. When we meditate on His Word, we set our mind on the truth of God's Word. And then the final thing is then I start declaring the truth about my situations. I take His Word and then I let the Word walk through my situations. If you're struggling with a physical sickness, you can take the Word and say, hey, I realize where I am and what I'm, I'm wrestling with right now, but the Word says, by stripes I'm healed. And the Word says that God is my healer. Or maybe you're in a financial pressure right now, and you acknowledge that, and you take it before the Lord, and you cast that pressure before Him, but then you come back and fall on the Word and say, but God, you said that you would supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory, so I declare that over this situation right now. Can somebody shout amen? amen? If God is your source, then worry has no place. 
Second thing is, if God is your source, pride has no place. If God is your source, then pride has no place in your life. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. I wrestled with this passage this week, but I wanted to read it to you. God is warning the nation of Israel as they come into the promised land. He's warning them about becoming prideful and forgetting where they came from. He's warning them about becoming prideful, thinking they had accomplished all these great things, and forget Him as the source of their life. Okay? Listen to this. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and ordinances and His statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember that the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. He's saying, listen, don't forget where you came from. And I'm leading you to a blessed land. That's my intention. You're going to build great houses. You're going to have wealth. You're going to be the envy of the nations. That's what I'm doing to you. But when you get over there and start living in those houses and start eating the good of the land, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that I'm the one who brought you out of Egyptian bondage. I'm the one who gave you manna in the wilderness when you had nothing to eat. And I really think the testing and humbling of them was to push them to the point of growing up in faith. They were looking back to Egypt because they had, at least they had food. It was onion stew, but at least they had food. But now in the promised land, but when things got tough, they looked back and just wanted that. God's saying, get your eyes off that. Extend your faith, and I'm going to give you things that you've never seen. Manna from heaven, quail in the morning upon the land, water from the rock. Your shoes are not going to wear out. Your clothes are not going to wear out. There's not going to be one sick or feeble among you, they said, in the entire 40-year journey. Why? Because God was supernaturally taking care of them. Don't, I think America really wrestles with this, don't you? We've become the most prosperous nation in the world and God has blessed us, and God has given us ingenuity and wealth, and God has given us uh, power to become a mighty nation, but yet we've forgotten the roots from which we came. I mean, you look back to American history, and you see who founded this nation. This nation was founded by people, at least from a Christian worldview, who came understanding. If you read a lot of the original covenants of the founding colonies, a lot of the covenants say, hey, we're here to proclaim the gospel to the nations. 
We've come to exalt the name of Jesus. Think of Reverend Hunt who came to the shores of Virginia just a few miles north of us here with the Jamestown Expedition. And when they came to Virginia Beach, they stopped the boat. He got off on the shores, planted a cross, and said, From these shores the gospel will be preached into all the nations. And that has come to pass. And we have been blessed because of that. Let us not forget, it isn't just our own greatness or our own ingenuity. Because God is the source and the soil from which all of our lives spring forth. And if we think we're so great, we better back up and repent because God is the one who gives power to get wealth. Come on, God is the source of all of our lives. I mean, so it becomes ridiculous to argue with God over giving a tithe. Wait, Lord, I worked for that. God said, yeah, can you imagine the think the logic? God said, yeah, and I gave you breath, DNA, cells to operate your body, air to breathe, proper atmospheric pressure so you don't, aren't crushed by the pressure. The sun exists just a perfect distance from you so it doesn't burn you alive. I gave you the ability to use your hands and use your mind, and I gave you the ability to make what you've made. Now I'm just asking that you honor me and recognize me as a source. And when that happens, something supernatural kicks into gear. God says, oh, this is one who understands. This is one I can trust. And he starts opening up the treasury of heaven to you. Somebody shout amen. amen. If God is our source... Pride has no place with us. The great golfer Arnold Palmer recalled a lesson about being prideful or overconfident. He said it was the final hole of the 1961 Masters Tournament, and I had a one-stroke lead, and it just hit a satisfying tee shot. I felt I was in pretty good shape. And as I approached my ball, I saw an old friend standing on the edge of the gallery. He motioned to me to come over, stuck out his hand and said, Congratulations. I took his hand and shook it, and as soon as I did, I knew I lost focus. On my next two shots, I hit the ball deep into the sand trap, put it over the edge of the green, I missed a putt, and lost the Masters. You don't forget a mistake like that. You just learn from it and become determined that you'll never do it again, and I haven't in 30 years. Come on, somebody. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, Be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. Walk in a humility, meaning I understand God is in charge of everything and He is the true source. Being humble means being under. You're under authority. Okay, final thing. If God is your source, then your future is secure. If God is your source, then your future is going to be alright. Amen? If you obey the Lord, you can rest assured in the character of our God. He is the one who owns it all. He's the one who gives power to get wealth. He's the one who can bless when it doesn't look like there's any blessings around. He's the one that can make a way out of no way. 
He's the one that can bring light into darkness. He's the one that can cause money to appear out of nowhere. He's the one that can bless the work of our hands. If God is our source, then our future is secure. You look at the life of Abraham. In Abraham's journey, God appeared to him in chapter 12 of Genesis, gave him a great covenant promise. He said, out of you, I will bless all the nations of the earth. Whoever blesses you, I'll bless. Whoever curses you, I'll curse, and I'll make your descendants as the sand of the seas, he tells him eventually. And so what happens? As Abraham continues to walk with the Lord, God continues to uncover and reveal his character to Abraham. Because character is linked to the fulfilling of covenant. If he knows the character of God, he knows God is faithful and will stand sure for his promises. So what happens in Genesis chapter 17? The Lord comes back to Abram and he appears. And the Bible says, now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. First thing he says. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between you and me. I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him. And said, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but now your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you a father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. And he just goes on and pours out the blessings on him. But the first statement is God reveals his character to him in a name that hasn't been seen in scripture before. I am. The Lord God Almighty, in Hebrew, I am El Shaddai. And I've researched this term, El Shaddai, and it's a mysterious term, and we're not for sure where it comes from. But one source says it means the many-breasted one, meaning there's fruitfulness. Or the God who supplies, the God who knows no lack. So God shows up to him at 99 years old when he's getting ready to have this promised son that's going to blow his mind. God comes up and he starts preparing the ground by revealing his character to him, saying, listen, I'm getting, God's not unveiling everything, but I'm getting ready to do something in your life that's so unbelievable that people are going to be talking about it centuries and millennia from now. But just know I am the El Shaddai and I can do whatever I want to do and I can provide for you when there seems to be no provision and I can create a son out of a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Lift your hand and say thank God for that He's my El Shaddai. That He is my El Shaddai. He makes a way where there is no way. He fulfills covenant. Come on, just shout it out. He's going to bless me. Going to bless my kids. Because they're going to know the El Shaddai. Going to bless our grandkids. They're going to know the El Shaddai. Hallelujah. He's going to bless the work of my hands because I'm under the shadow. Psalm 91 comes and says, He who is under the shadow of the El Shaddai. Hallelujah. We live under that shadow now of the blessing hand of God. Oh my gosh. Somebody shout hallelujah. We've been through some storms. I still look around, I see people been through storms. But you know what? We're still standing. 
and we're still holding on to the hand of El Shaddai. Hallelujah. He comes on down in Genesis 22. He comes forward five chapters. Now Abraham's had the promised son. Now God tells him, now go sacrifice him to me. As a test of his faithfulness. He goes up on the mountain. The Bible says when God speaks that to him, I preached this recently, the next morning they left early. Abraham went to chopping wood for the sacrifice, got the servants together, got his son, got everything packed down early. The next morning he was up and out. Made it all the way to the base of Mount Moriah. He goes up there and he had so much faith in the covenant promises of God that he looked at his, his servants and he said, me and the lad are going yonder to worship and we will return. One way or the other, we're going to return. The New Testament tells us that he believed if even God had to raise that boy from the dead, he's going to return with him. And so he goes up there on the mountain and he straps the boy down and he raises the knife, getting ready to sacrifice him. The angel of the Lord shows up and stops him. But before that happened, the son's looking around. And Isaac says, Dad, here's the fire and here's the wood for the sacrifice. But where's the sacrifice? He's getting suspicious. And Abraham's like, don't worry, son. My God will supply. When all hope looks lost, my God will supply. My, he'd, he'd lived long enough that he knew God was his source and he wasn't backing down. And so what happened once the angel of the Lord stopped him and then God came and confirmed his covenant again and said, now I know that you're faithful. And he said, he named that place Jehovah Jireh. Come on, somebody. He named that place Jehovah Jireh. Literally, God sees. Literally, God sees. God shall supply. Excuse me. God sees and God shall supply. God sees. Hallelujah. God sees what you need tomorrow before you wake up tomorrow. God sees what you need next year before we get to 2024. God sees what your kids need before you ever know there's a need. God sees what doors are going to have to be open for you before you, those doors have to be open for you. God sees your lack. He sees your inability. And He sees your greatness. Hallelujah. God sees everything. My God is Jehovah Jireh. And if He, how many has God ever provided for? Come on, wave your hand. Look around this room. Come on, all I know is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If He did it yesterday, He'll do it today. And if He does it today, He'll do it tomorrow. Because God's not running out of supply anytime soon. Hallelujah. He suspends the earth by the power of His Word. The seas hold back at the power of His Word. You and I are here created by the power of His Word. And if He's that awesome today, He's going to be that awesome tomorrow. He is my Jehovah Jireh, my El Shaddai. Hallelujah. Why should I worry? Hallelujah. Why should I fret? Why should I doubt? My God owns a cattle on a thousand hill, and he's promised it to me. Somebody put your hands together and give the Lord a shout. Come on, give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. 
Come on, look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be okay. You're in the hand of the El Shaddai. It's going to be all right. Woo! Corrie Tim Boone said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. During his 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy often closed his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport, the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives in the late 1700s. I love this. I want you to get this. One day in 1789, the sky in Hartford, Connecticut turned ominously black. And the representatives that were meeting glanced out the windows and they thought the end of time had come. And Davenport wanted to calm them down, so he rose up and he said, The day of judgment is either approaching or it's not. If it's not, there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, bring the candles in and light the candles. Rather than fearing what is to come, we're to be faithful until He comes. Rather than be worrying about lack and what I don't have and how i got to keep up with the Joneses, how about you just put your hand to the plow and what God's given you to do and, and occupy until He comes. Hallelujah. We don't need to back down in fear and back down. You know, a lot of stuff is happening in Israel that I would love to speak to. But you know, all I know is i got to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. i got to believe God for the best. i got to believe God for you guys. i got to believe God for the pastors under me. I have to believe. we got to be faithful. i got to wake up every morning and say, God, I believe that everything's all right and you're taking care of me. Hallelujah. No matter what CNN says or Fox News says or whoever else, my God is still in control. Control. His word is the is what holds everything in balance. Hallelujah. There's some prophecies that have to be fulfilled in Jesus' name, but I know I'm going to put my hand to the plow and keep right on plowing until he comes. Come on, can you shout amen? Come on, stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Come on, shout it out. God is my source. Think about the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17 who, who he's uh, he given these prophetic words and the heavens shut up with rain and he goes and he's, he's uh, led by the Lord to a brook and there he stays by the brook while everybody else is experiencing incredible famine and drought. He's drinking from the brook and ravens are bringing him fresh meat every day. And then the brook dries up. So what's he do? The Lord speaks to him another word. Go down to the widow of Zarephath. He goes down to the widow at Zarephath. And there she has a meal barrel with just enough meal left to bake her and her son one pone of cornbread. And then they're going to die. He says, I'll tell you what, make me a cake first. Testing her faith. Make me a cake first. And she does that and the Bible says her meal barrel never ran dry. If she looked to the source, be in that meal barrel, she would have died within days. But she knew that El Shaddai's representative had just entered her home and said, I got a better way. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands. Father, we thank you that you are the source of life. 
We thank you, Lord, that you've opened up this revelation for us afresh today. Some of us, we know this stuff, but we need to hear it afresh. And Lord, I pray you bless everyone under the sound of my voice. And now, Lord, I pray for those who've been walking in extreme worry. They've been worried about tomorrow and worried about the future. Lord, I pray you open up the revelation of this, that you're their source today. There's no reason to worry. All they need to do is walk and obey. And you're going to take care of things, Lord. Hallelujah. We look to you, the supply, the Jehovah Jireh of our lives. And we give you honor and praise right now. We cast our care on you for you care for us, Lord. We cast our care on you today. And we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, while your, your heads are bowed with me, why don't you just picture yourself casting all of your care over your shoulder and tossing it onto the Lord. And He picks it up and He's able to take care of it. He's able to handle those things you can't handle. He's able to make a way in, in places that you couldn't make a way. He's able to open doors that you couldn't open that you knocked on. He's able to do it, but only when you release those cares to Him. So Father, we cast our care on You right now in the name of Jesus and we give it into Your hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now why don't you raise up a shout and give Him a praise for taking it? Come on, why don't you raise up a shout right now and give Him a praise for taking the cares? and taking the burdens. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, Let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.